Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lighthouse Podcast, where books are lighthouses in the sea of time. Once again, I am here with both of my co-hosts, Aiden DeGroote and Isabel Switsky. Hello. How are you guys? Hello. Hello. So, today, we are here to discuss the wonderful science fiction space opera epic awesome book, Dune, by Frank Herbert. So... This book is a very interesting one. Um, so it's science fiction, and it's it's very much classic science fiction. It's uh, you can definitely see the influence that this book has had on many other different types of science fiction, from Star Wars to um, Star Trek, and and you know others, others besides you know the main the main two there. Um, so uh, this book plunges you right in. It doesn't doesn't spend time explaining the world. It just it just Throws you right in. So, basically, there's this emperor, and then underneath the emperor are all these different, like, houses. It looks like there's, like, major houses and minor houses. And uh, two of the major houses are the uh, House Atreides and the House uh, Harkonnens. And so, uh, the Harkonnens used to have control of this planet Dune, um, or Arakeen. It's it's called by or Ericus. It's it's called by very many different names. It's it's Dune. That's that's what the book's named after. Is this planet? It's a desert planet, and it also produces this very powerful drug. It's called spice, and uh, it's it's very expensive, and but also a very dangerous to mine. So uh, the Harkonnens had control over it for the longest time, and then uh, House. Atreides was just given control of it by the Emperor. So, uh, Harkonnens and Atreides kind of hate each other. Um, but, you know, it's the Emperor's bidding, so, um, they, they all sort of follow orders, at least for the beginning. So, um, so the Atreides kind of set up shop, and they're just kind of trying to get their feelers out, figure out what the political situation on the planet is. They all can tell that it's very much deeper than they maybe at first expected. And, um... So everything seems to go be going all fine and dandy until uh, they all get betrayed and uh, separated, and um, the um, yeah, and the the young heir Paul and his mother are basically uh, uh, left out in the desert to to die. But they don't die because they're the main characters. They end up finding these uh, these people, the Fremen, out in the desert. And they uh, develop a relationship with them. It gets to the point where uh, Paul ends up being the leader of the Fremen, who are much more technologically uh, adept and uh, also very good at fighting, much more than you would expect. Um, and there's also way more of them, and they also have this plan to like change up the planet so it won't be a desert planet anymore, and you can like there will be like water and. Um, but at the same time as these people are, like, super awesome and technological and, and good at fighting, they're also still a bit tribal. And you, you see kind of shades of that uh, through their customs and their religion and their um, all of that stuff. So, whoops, <laughs> I dropped my phone there. The, um, the, so, so that's, that's, that's kind of how it works. And then uh, later in the book... Uh, Paul ends up taking over the planet 
and uh, kicking the Harkonnens out that betrayed them. And then he ends up uh, marrying the Emperor's daughter, and uh, everything's all hunky and dory. But it's a lot. It's it's a it's a lot deeper than that. But that's the gist of the story. Is there anything important that I missed? Um, you missed yeah, most I... most of the scheming. I did. I did you... miss most of the scheming. The scheming is a huge part of this book. This book, it just feels, like, inherently political. <laughs> like, like I feel like everything everyone says has, like, a hidden meaning behind it. And, like, by about the middle, you're not really sure who's who's going to die next. <laughs> who's going to get backstabbed? Who's going to... It's it, it's crazy. So what's... Yeah. Um, I, I know I personally you... didn't like that about the book, all this scheming. I don't, I don't oh, know. At some point, it was awesome, but at some point, it was just like uh, I just despised how like nobody can be genuine. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that lack of genuineness everyone has. You also kind of skipped over all the religious issues and the issue that there are people who um have on the edge of supernatural abilities. Oh yeah, both of which are very important. That's very true. Also, it might be important to note that the Harkonnens and, like, the, like when the asteroids like, come down, like, they know that the Harkonnens didn't give up this planet without, like, this easily if they weren't planning on betraying them. Like, there was this kind of known that there was going to be a betrayal, that there was going to be a big fight, but they right. thought that like, they knew where it was going to come idea. from. And they assumed that they were, like, the best people in the... Like, they kind of overemphasized their own strengths. Right. Which, well, was problematic. Right. It, it very much was problematic. Um, yeah, the it, it, you, you find out later that the Emperor ended up helping the Harkonnens betray the Atreides house. And that's kind of like a, whoa, kind of a moment. Um, really? I don't well, know. It's revealed I read... slowly, but it is definitely a, a thing where you're like, what? How, how could he? I guess maybe. I, I read through it. This was my second time reading through it, and so obviously I already knew. But I mean, I kind of felt that it was revealed like right at the beginning that they weren't, that the Harkonnens had no chance of actually succeeding in doing this without Imperial support. Oh, uh, right. Okay, that makes sense. I, I, I do remember that they... At the beginning. Right, yeah. The Harkonnens definitely spent a lot of money to make this thing work. <laughs> well, yeah, the Harkonnens were required to pay all the money, but, like, the Imperial... The Empire was definitely the ones playing all the political and actually the ones supplying the only troops that did anything. Right. Yeah, so I, I definitely want to get to religion. Uh, that's that's a very important part of this book. There's a bit of like a, it. Th- th- this is kind of how this this might slightly differ than other science fiction. Is there's there's so much like it's very much a space opera. It's not just you know aliens and cowboys and lasers, pew pew kind of a. Uh, it it it's very it, it's a, it's science fiction that feels like fantasy. Does, does right. that right? And then, but then when I was thinking yeah. about that, I was like, wait, but what's actually the difference between science fiction and fantasy? Um, mm. 
I don't, I don't know. There, I think well, it's a tough distinction see, to make. I feel as if this, along almost with like Star Wars, stopped are like kind of the science fiction novels, but the only reason we call them science fiction is because they take place in space and remind us of science fiction. But it's not really... Uh, like, all the science is fake to such a point that right. it's not really science fiction. I mean, you read, like... Right, Ender's like, nobody Game believes it. In, right, okay. well, but, like, you read, like, Ender's Game, and, like, they keep in mind the fact that when, when you are traveling at your light speed, time slows down. I mean, gotcha. that's just not all taken into account here, which, well, I mean, it's still fun to take into account the fact that time slows down and you still travel hundreds of years to the outside world. Right. But That's true. That's true. And they definitely add in supernatural-ish type stuff to it as well. So yeah. it's, it's sort of a very interesting hybrid. Um, yeah, so, so I suppose... But but what makes it feel like science fiction is the fact, I feel like, that they go to such great lengths to explain everything. Does that make sense? Kind of, but, I mean, it could just be a very thorough magic system. I mean, if it was an island instead of a planet, it would work just about as well. What is it? Perhaps. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I, I suppose I have trouble making this like I, I don't see science fiction and, and like like okay because yes okay so in fantasy often the crazy things that happen are as a result of magic but in science fiction they're a result of technology and I feel like there is an inherent difference between the two but it's it's very it's a very fine line it's very tough to actually define um, and you way- want to say that all this stuff was magic because I felt it all was everything awesome happening with magic. Right. Well, you see, the way I... Right. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, because if you think about... Or or else these people... I mean, if you think about poisons being neutralized inside someone's body, all of these various (laughs) mental... Mental... Interesting... Future-telling, past-seeing, mind-sharing... There was not... There was no attempt to use science to explain any of that. Yeah, there was. The they talk person... about, like, you know, moving the molecules around inside your body to, like, yes, change but how the do chemical you do composition that? of the They never figured poison. it... Yeah, they, they didn't, they didn't um, explain how this was all possible using science. What about the shields I mean, was... and the laser guns and how when you shoot a shield oh. with a laser gun that it, uh, it, it like, okay, blows up? So there, okay, so there were... Um, advanced science things, but all of them seemed like they were things that almost like exist nowadays, so it might not be quite so back in the past, but I mean, it wasn't like it was anything like it wasn't like the main cool things. I mean, the mented powers, which were actually kind of scientific, were like not even all that important. I mean, okay, mentions were considered powerful. But, I mean, they were kind of significantly lower than a, being Jesuerate. And then, like, Paul is, well, a combination of both, but he's also more than either. Right. I mean, there's, like, this level that okay. everybody who's powerful is running based on magic. Yeah, but what about the worms? 
And the spice. Those but felt the scientific. The, the worms and the spice are all connected to this magical stuff known as spice. But it's not magic, it's a drug. And it gets yeah, produced by that, the worms and then, like, some natural gas from underneath the planet, and then... Okay, I guess. It's just that the, it also is magic because... You're right. This, this book has <laughs> a lot more magic ability. than most science fiction would. But well, I suppose the question is, what's the difference? Mystique, aura, yes. the kind of feel that it gives to the book... Basically, it sets the tone for a lot of other stuff. If it's going to be cold and calculating and very sort of, you know, square off all the edges and very, you have to use logic at every step of the way. That's more the feel you get from something like Ender's Game. Whereas in this situation, it, it creates kind of a muddiness to the details and it creates kind of this atmosphere where what's important is not the details of the world. What's important is the characters. What's important is the story. What's important is how these alterations to humans and how they interact with each other affect their relationships. And what does that say about real life? If we were to change something and observe the effects of the change, it shows us something about real life that we perhaps otherwise wouldn't have noticed. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it reminds me a lot of like Song of Ice and Fire in how political. Well, yeah. Game of Thrones. I haven't actually seen Game of Thrones. I've only read Song of Ice and Fire. Um, It's the books are really good. I mean, they are heavily sexualized and, yeah, my parents still won't let me read them. I'm 18, and I still can't read Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there are scenes that are, like, I mean, you have to consider um, the equivalent of written porn. And so yep. I kind of understand your parents' decisions. Yeah. Maybe because you're 18, your parents shouldn't be determining anything you read. But if they are, right. this would be on the list of things they probably wouldn't let you read. <laughs> when I go to college, we can we can read that on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, if everybody wants to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so politicalness. I think that's another very important topic in this book. I, I personally hate politicalness, both in, in real life and, and in... Okay, it, it was very interesting to read about in this book because it was exciting. It had this air of... Like tension, like what's going to happen next? It was, um, it made this book yeah. exciting and interesting. So it's not like I hated it from that perspective, but, but as it, I, I hate the idea of it. <laughs> like, like well, wait, politics just... seems like it can't be separated from manipulativeness. So I guess yeah. what what is it about this scheming in this book that makes it so interesting, and and what makes it repulsive, and what. What role can politics play in our lives? Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. I think that the key thing that makes it so annoying in this book is this level where everyone who's an anyone is playing at the level of a minted. At a level right. like they're almost all like Sherlock Holmes level intelligent. I mean, you have Sherlock right. Holmes versus Moriarty, except we have like five different people all playing this game, if not like 10 
<laughs> right. You have like 10 different people playing this game and no one is sure they have all the information. I mean, Paul is the only person who really ever gets like all the information. And right. he is missing a few points and he notices this. For example, um, he doesn't know that guy, um, the emperor's best friend, who's, I forget his name, but um, Paul can't count, actually count, find whatever, anything yeah. out about him because of how similar they are. Mm-hmm. And that lack of seeing the emperor's best friend is like, well, a key problem for Paul. Right. It ends up not making a difference because the emperor's best friend decides to side with Paul. But, yes. <laughs> I mean, still. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so everybody's everybody's playing the game. There's nobody that right. that isn't, and if if they are, then they die, or if they're not, then they die. <laughs> and I, mean, I there think are people who don't play the game. I think uh, who I, like Idaho doesn't really play the game. I mean, Idaho That's does true. die, but I mean, Idaho. <laughs> and, um, but like Idaho, and like I feel as if quite a few of the people who end up following Paul, most of them aren't really playing the game most of the time. Most of them are just following someone else. I mean, yes, most of the Fremen were following Leap um, right. and then switched to following Paul. That's true. Idaho but I feel... followed Paul's dad and then started following Paul and then died. That's true. <laughs> yep. Um, does Hani ever end up playing the game? I feel um, like yes. No, I know. no, she gets played at one point. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Well, what's it? What? What? Not really. What? What? The the knife, like the barb in the politics, is that it always compromises the sincerity of the human relationships, and I think that's a very specific. That's a very important. That's one of the keystone points of the book is that, remember, um, uh, Jessica, Lady Jessica, it, mm-hmm. her scheming with the Bene Gesserit um, mm-hmm. really it, it, it derails her, her relationship with her son and makes her miss key things that she should have have seen. It made her screw up essentially in her relationship with her son right. um just so uh, that the duke, the duke and Le- Le- um leto and, and lady jessica same story they hurt each other because of this politics that kind of overshadows their lives and they mm-hmm. they no matter how nice the characters are well some of some of them are nice some of them are evil but the nice ones and the evil ones alike politics and this the scheming is over their human relationships mm-hmm. and infects their relationships. And I think that one of the key points is that, well, does that happen in the real world? Of course, it may not be overt political scheming, but when you have your own agenda and you want, or you're, you're trying to get from point A to point B on any level whatsoever, if you, you, you have to be careful that that doesn't blind you to things. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's very true. So, do they give you any advice for 
not doing that or any ways that you think that maybe you can be political and still be genuine? I don't know. What? Well, I haven't I haven't read the whole thing. Oh. So, you can't right. uh you can't um quote me on this, but I didn't notice any any anything really. Um Okay. It, Except maybe maybe Hani, the character of, of Hani, how... Wh- who was it that... I, I forget who the two people who were speaking were, but there was this conversation when Jessica was speaking to somebody and she said, well, you might... Jessica wanted Paul to marry someone else. Yeah. And what's this person said? Um, you might find a surprising ally, ally Hani herself. Because she wants mm-hmm. what's good for Paul, she doesn't want what's good for her. You know, she she she, oh, she she's actually so selfless, right? So right, selflessness that. might. On the other hand, uh, the whole yeah yeah, I don't see any Jessica other. Jessica plays the game a lot. However, it's she important does. to note Jessica, the one person Jessica didn't want to ever play the game against, um, was the Duke. Um, yes. And she's like, right. We're on that point. She was completely unwilling to ever use the voice on him, like at, almost at all. I think she right. once in a while he slightly uses it, but only <laughs> to the barest levels possible because she's opposed to controlling him. And she right. wants him and to she, know it. Well, Right, well, do, do you, but like she's right. so opposed to controlling him because mm-hmm. she loves him. Right, right. One thing that I found that they keep that that they brought up in the book was uh, the Duke's leadership style. How he really, um, how he, he was the how he was really a, an admirable leader. How mm-hmm. he was um, now. Granted, he he does die. <laughs> And uh, to some mm-hmm. some point, because of perhaps that um, these qualities, these qualities in him, but I feel like he comes the closest to being um, to to being really a, a true servant leader type mm-hmm. of person, where he's he's gen- he's concerned yeah. for the lives of his people. You see that in the helicopter rescue at the beginning of the book. Um, oh yeah, it's right and it's right. Point- and it's pointed out how significant. Um, who's the um, mercenary guy um, who plays the um, the Baron Harkonnen? No, no, no. The um, mercenary um, who works for the Duke's family. Um, that guy. Um, he um, he joins Duncan? Paul's group. Not Duncan. Um, it's Duncan Idaho. Um, it's. The oh. other guy, the guy who um, was became a um, smuggler, and the, oh, Gurney, Gurney Halleck. Yeah, Gurney Halleck. Um, Gurney Halleck makes the observation that um, when they're attacking the Imperial Army near the end, that Paul cares more about his equipment at points than he does about people. Right. He's just kind of like. We need the equipment. I mean, I have plenty of soldiers. And there are uh, points where he cares more about soldiers, and there are other points where he cares more about equipment. But it's all depending on if he has an overabundance of it. Right. And Gurney Halleck makes the observation, like, 
this isn't his father's way at all. His father would have said, who cares about the equipment? We lost men. Right. Well, and it's interesting. Do you remember the scene, the, the part of the book when Halleck re- appears on the scene, you know, again and meets Paul after all those uh-huh. years? And it's mm-hmm. kind of because he, he still has the old the old view of Paul. So it was a literary device to kind of accentuate the ways in which Fremen existence changed Paul. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what he sees is not necessarily for the better in some ways because of the, the way that the Fremen's had this extreme, not brutality. What was, what would be a good word for it? Just Uh, the, Tough, th- just the very extreme, tough, and like hardened survival instinct right. kind of thing. So it, he- it, they really believe that um, in survival of the fittest, but right. based on that principle, they take that principle almost to its logical conclusion, not completely, but they yeah. take it towards its logical conclusion, which is that if we have someone die. They weren't strong enough to survive, and hence didn't deserve to survive. And hence, why do we care? Mm. Yeah, yeah, a little really bit. Don't yeah, care when they lose soldiers. You see that they when uh, when Paul fights that one guy. Yeah, yeah. Jairus. I mean, his his kids like like basically walk in and be like, "Oh, hey, we have a new daddy now because this guy killed our old one." Right, well, and there was the whole mystique of the tribal laws, too, but the point I was trying to make is that they put the broader goal completely over the individuals in that community. Yeah, very true. And he absorbed this attitude to his own detriment to some extent, but also... that is how you... that is how the the Fremen survived. Yes, exactly. Ericus yeah, is the, a, a tough master. <laughs> yeah. It's the group over the individual, but um, Paul has almost just become the group himself, which is mm. what... I mean, there's multiple points where he points out, like, his death doesn't make a difference because he isn't an individual anymore. He is... Like, he isn't the person leading. He's only able to slightly steer it. But... Mm. Right. If he would die, the group would still take over. If he leads them, well, they're going to take over anyway. All he can do is, like, choose who they kill in the process. Right. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, I suppose it, in a bit of a conclusion about pol- politics to, to kind of, like, wrap that oh, wait, up and one apply last it point. to our own... Yeah. Oh, one last point. This is kind of an important point. Um, but um, Paul's mom turns out to be the daughter of the Baron Harkonnen. Yes, that was a plot twist. Paul is really a plot twist. How plot twisty <laughs> was it? I mean, nowadays we have everyone knows that Luke is Darth Vader's son. I mean, it's not. Yes, but it's not. It's not a thing that you expected. <laughs> At least okay, not the first time you watched true. it. That may be true, but it's not exactly the most brilliant plot twist anymore. We kind of know that mm. enemy families are always related to the, the hero is always related to both enemy families. Um, okay. Right, he? and 
the profundity of that twist is is kind of lost now. Oh, I mean, it's just, I thought it was cool. <laughs> well, I mean, right. if you look at like Game of Thrones, everyone predicted from like near the beginning that Jon Snow was actually a Targaryen. Why? Because well, those are the two. Because awesome everybody sleeps Star with everybody. Targaryens. <laughs> is that so i mean the targaryens basically just suck with each other oh okay gotcha <laughs> which kind of explains why they're like all dead right, right. well it's but what i what i kind of wanted to do is, is uh-huh. kind of apply politics back to our own lives and kind of uh, talk and just finish out with a like like i think i think the character of, of duke the the duke leto uh kind of shows mm-hmm. you that it is possible to be a good leader and to be in power and to manage that power wisely and in a good sort of a a, a Christian way. Um, I think I think at some point you uh, also the book makes the point that yeah the you know the the wicked do prosper <laughs> and that a, a lot of times uh, doing stuff the right way isn't always the the most efficient way but um I, I think i think adding to that and the book doesn't really touch on this at all they just kind of go like yeah i mean you can be good but it, it doesn't always work um but I, I think as christians we can we can be satisfied with the fact that that doesn't necessarily matter you know i mean it's uh-huh. uh, so so it is possible to uh be a christian and be in power and use it wisely but if you lose it that you know that's fine too <laughs> right, right. Def- it's so easy when you have power to cling to it and it becomes mm-hmm. something you can't do without mm-hmm. um so it's it 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 um kind of works against you in in a way. That's true. Yeah. I'm looking press. forward to, I'm looking forward to um reading the rest of the book to see whether it it corrupts Paul, but perhaps we don't even need to because he was he received power among the Fremen. Mhm. Um right. and as for what you're saying earlier, it does seem that it what we were saying, it did kind of corrupt him in in some ways. His uh, moral compass shifted a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. I mean, he blames it on the Bean Jesuit. He and his mother saying, "You guys have been wanting and have been working towards this um, Quizak Hadarach thing." And, mm-hmm. I mean, you guys didn't actually, like, this is not something that was good. This, I feel like what you're aiming for is me. But, I mean, I am way too powerful that I'm going to destroy absolutely everything mm-hmm. that anybody's done before. And I'm taking over. Right. Yeah. I mean, he uh, doesn't care about the organizations that helped him gain this ability. Yeah. So that's definitely something to be aware of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
So you touched on something. I feel like we haven't really talked about this much, and we really need to because this is really core to understanding the book. The um, the the Bene the the Bene Gesserit the 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 religion, the magic, and the prophecy surrounding this entire the book. The Bene Gesserit isn't a religious organization per se. They're simply what? a yeah, they are. They are too. No, they're not. No, okay. they're not. It specifically says in the appendix that they're not really a religious organization. They just... But their leader is called the Reverend Mother. They used right. man- they used religion to manipulate people. Right, they used yes. religious icon... I- like ideology. Religious- yeah, that word. Um, yes. Ideology to make people think of them as more of a religion. But, they're but not. they have like their own Bible. They have like religious no, texts. No, they don't. They have. They, they do too. The, no, the um Bible, the Bene Gesserit don't actually have the Bible. The um the Bible you're referring to was built by a collection of people who um from all faiths who came together and established a single Bible. Oh, that's silly. <laughs> you didn't read the appendix. It talks about this. I I didn't read the appendix. No. Okay, but. They have their own things, right? Like, what about those chants that Jessica's always doing? They're, oh, like... Are just, they're, like, very... Okay, well, first of all, there's, like, hypnotism chants, which, like, calm the mind, such as, like, the one about fear is the mind killer, etc., etc. Yeah. Which is a hypnotic sort of thing to... It's all kind fear. of yoga. Right. It's a whole lot of it's... yoga. And, like, hidden meat and... Words that have almost no meaning, except that we've programmed them into everybody's head to think that they have meaning. And so when we walk around and use this word, everyone thinks that it has meaning. Right. So that they were using the they were they set up a fake religion basically, and they set up these fake prophecies so that their uh, these ladies would be safe in hostile environments because they could right. use these implanted prophecies to manipulate and control hostiles. And right. they were just going after their scheming to try to get Paul, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Political- Though Paul wasn't actually the one they were aiming for. They wanted... Um, the correct path was to have Paul... Paul was supposed to be a girl, not a boy. And then he was supposed to marry... Um, the um guy with the two knives, the long knife with the poison and the short knife. Um, oh, the Harkonnen dude. Yeah, the Harkonnen dude. Except what? Fide Rafa or something like that. Uh huh. Um, and then that was supposed to produce what Paul ended up being. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, basically, what they were trying to do is make a a male person that could have the the powers of the Bene Gesserit. Um, right. But Bene there were reasons they couldn't do that. Right. It, it had um, to do with a bunch of weird, like, breeding stuff. Like, okay, like, yeah. like there's all this talk about bloodlines and, and stuff. Like, like the Reverend Mother is, like, totally in charge of this, going, like, okay, well, this person needs to sleep with this person, and then they're, they're those babies, and then they will, they will do this, and then... Right, was, uh, well... Well, that, yes. And it worked based on the principle that they had 
certain abilities that they train, such as like a very high acute level of being able to read other people. Mm-hmm. And so like a being a dresser is almost impossible to lie to. Right. Like just straight up, they're almost impossible to lie to. And then like if they start, if they specifically train to a really high point, they're like not just basically impossible to lie to. They are literally impossible to lie to. Yeah, so so they're tough to lie to. Their powers also include a supreme control over their own bodies and uh, control ability to sort of control other people's bodies using yeah, like also these that. yeah, like instant hypnosis. Yes, that and the voice which people voice. people obey you. Right, that's like instant hypnosis, isn't it? Yeah. Idea that, like, you instantly hypnotize someone. Yes. Mm. I mean, it uh, was better explained that it's done by voice patterns and stuff instead of. But I mean, there's this idea that if you stun someone's mind quick, you can like take it over and they will simply obey you. Normally, that's considered fiction. Right. Yeah. The Definitely. um. Yeah. So yeah, back to that religion type stuff though. That was that was really crazy. That's that's just like a whole new level of meta. No, like they're they're literally sending missionaries to these planets that are basically like like John the Baptist type people that basically prepare the way, prepare the people for whatever particular uh, Bene Bene Gesserit that they're gonna get. Right. Like. Like, right. Well, also, you have to keep in mind the prophecies on Arrakis, um, yeah. Jessica's completely surprised by. Yeah, because they're completely that, different than the other ones. Well, well right, I, think... The, I think it has to do with the Fremen um, got a group of like Bene Gesserit as like their religious leaders and they corrupted them, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, like, with that strange like, poison. Well, you see, the Bene Gesserit were an organization that were running Reverend Mothers. The issue is, is that the Fremen also figured out how to make their own Reverend Mothers who were doing the exact same thing. They just didn't report to, like, the Council of Bene Gesserit Reverend Mothers, which causes all sorts of problems when there's like another group who are basically you guys, except they don't report to you. So all right. the lies are not exactly consistent. Right. And so the things right. that stand out are like the truth statements, the things that actually were prophecy. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that is a little freaky. It's kind of cool. Well, because the Bene Gesserit could foretell the future, the same as the Space Guild could. Right, yes. The Space Guild, the group of people who turn out to be very important right at the end, but nobody sees their importance until then. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> they come uh-huh. out of left field. Yeah. Completely out of left field. <laughs> it's like, whoa, wait, what? <laughs> this you happened guys how? Are important. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it had to do with the fact that the Space Guild controlled all space travel. Right. Yeah, and, and that's that was yeah that they they were the people that like found the spice originally and used it to be able to navigate like hyperspace. 
<laughs> right. And they were basically making themselves almost Teenage Esserit. It was different, but similar right. to that. They were able to predict the future. Um, uh, one thing, that, speaking of predicting the future, they always, they always, they, they, they made it so like, if you could predict the future, you saw multiple paths and you could sort of choose different paths that way, sort of engineer uh-huh. things so they went along one path or another. And they always said that like that the safer path always leads to stagnation. <laughs> right. Well, the safer path always does lead to stagnation. And the reason for that is, is because if you don't, run to stagnation. It's always dangerous. The idea is, is that what you, so it's like, if you have like a pendulum uh-huh. and like not a pendulum that runs like a pendulum running on like a rod. So like, not like a string pendulum. Um, and you can technically balance it. So the pendulum is staying straight up. And that's uh-huh. the way you want to do it. Like you want to be staying straight up at all times. But that is almost impossible to do because if you've tried balancing anything like that, it always tips. Right. If you balance it the other way, so it's aiming straight down, well, then you're sure to succeed. That makes sense. Right. Well, you don't make progress. And without progress, well, you're someone can always mess things, someone who isn't forcing to keep stuff stagnant and mess things up. They can't necessarily succeed. I mean, everything Paul did had a very high likelihood of failure. Right. It's just, if he failed, everybody else was going to fail with him. I mean, when he threatened to blow up, like, the entire planet of Arrakis. Yeah. That's, whoa. <laughs> well, I mean, that's oh, what, like, I mean, he threatens it. And he's saying there and saying, hey, I can blow up everything. And I mean, you guys want me to do it? I mean, give me what I want or I'm going to. When I blow up all the spice, you guys, well, yes, we all die because we're all addicted to it. But you guys also all die. And hence, well, yeah, it's bad for us, but it's worse for you. We made the choice, right? Yep. Very interesting. This whole book is so deep. There's so many levels on which everything is operating. Right, and um, interesting how just being the one who makes the choice makes it all right for you and not all right for the other guy. Yeah, I mean, isn't that's how it works, isn't it? Yeah, it's one making the choice. Right, it's all about, it's always about control. It's always always about about control. Right. Okay, yeah, so you kind of touched on something there, you know, how, like, it's it's all right for you because you're making the decision, and it's always about control. We should touch a little bit on the morality of this book. Sort of hinted at it in the um, politicalness discussion, but... um, yeah, there's like two things I kind of want to hit here. Um, talking about, we, we should probably spend a little more time talking about the freemen, talking about their morality and and their mm-hmm. kind of system of how everything works, and then yep. talking about uh, 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 Isabel. You you brought up this this great question. Uh, what are the reasons for loyalty in this, this book? Talking about the loyalty of all the different characters and who they're loyal to and why. Um, because that goes a little bit deeper than necessarily just political scheming. 
Um, does it or doesn't yeah, it? Well, right, that's uh, the question. <laughs> um, I don't yeah. know. I think it does. Because, like, people like Idaho, their political scheming this is kind of minor. Yeah, Idaho can work as a spy. He does. He spies on Jessica. Um, he spies on Jessica or the Duke who doesn't distrust Jessica. Like, he needs to appear like he's distrusting Jessica because otherwise... The enemy will know he trusts. It's weird. Yes. What was the point of spying on Jessica again? I don't know. Yeah, basically they thought that that she was the going to be the betrayer, but she ended no, up. Not no, being. no, that wasn't the thing. The thing was the thing? The, the thing was that. Oh, they had to somebody, make everybody else think that he thought that somebody was somebody sent a message. Somebody sent a fake clue. A fake. They intercepted a fake message, which they knew was mm-hmm. the Duke knew was fake. That Jessica was the traitor. The Duke knew Jessica mm-hmm. wasn't the traitor, but he didn't want whoever sent him the fake message to know that the Duke knew it was a fake message. So he tried to flush out the spy by falling for it deliberately. Yeah, right. by all appearances, it kind of fell apart, and it yeah, didn't really it, work it did out. But it got away on them. But still, I mean, that was like, I mean, Idaho did work as a spy, but I mean, still, Idaho doesn't really play much in the political game. Okay, also, he works as like an ambassador, but still, he's kind of a minor character in the whole political game. He isn't really playing. He doesn't have his own agenda. Oh, right. That That's the way I put it. He isn't playing it for himself. Right. Right. And, you know, there's this whole whole issue of, well, who has loyalty to who and why do they have loyalty? Is it from self-interest, genuine affection, because what they get from said leader is better than what mm-hmm. they'll get from a different leader? And it's interesting to me that even the Duke Leto himself was a little bit manipulative about it. He used affectionate treatment to buy loyalty in a way right. um remember he he gave he, there was this whole incident where he divided up his the spice that he earned among among his soldiers oh, yeah. servants so that they would remember that he was merciful and nice basically yeah and he I mean, cared about the men right he he used these manipulative—it's well, it, not really manipulative. That—that's like the lowest level. Of it has manipulation. to do with your intentions, really. Right. 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 Well, but I mean, he—it's he... a standard move for all nice command, all like considered nice commanders, that when they take a bonus cut, when like there's a bonus cut sitting out there, if they take it, they kind of say hey, throw it back to the men. I don't need it. I'm already taking a higher wage than everyone else. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean... Well, that that's just kind of an example, though. Right. I, mean, right. I suppose there might be other or th- th- There that. was an edge in his... Yeah. You know, he, he um, wouldn't abandon the men... You know, there there, there was there was an, an element of public publication 
of his yeah, his good deeds too. I mean, th- this um when choosing between telling everyone that it was the duke who made the call or not, they said, "Hey, I don't think there's much danger, and it would be a positive." Right. To be honest, though, the only really close to admirable character in most of these books really is the Duke. <laughs> I mean, he's, I mean, yes, he's not perfect. Yes, he is. He does have to be a Duke. He has to, to play some sort of part in the political scheming. But I feel like he, he really he did the best. He's the, he's the most, he's yeah. the nicest. <laughs> you know, he reminds me of like Eddard Stark from Game of Thrones. Doesn't the he die? Dies. Yeah, well, he <laughs> dies in like book one, like the mid to end of book one. Um, kind of like the Duke. He plays a very similar role as the Duke. He's the father of all the Stark kids who end up yeah. being like very important kids. Right. I, I mean, it's a very similar, like, I mean, if you want to say which group of people are the heroes, well, I mean, in book one, it definitely looks like the Starks are the good guys. Edward Stark dies, but he's like the super noble father. As you watch all the kids, you slowly see none of them are anywhere close to their dad mm-hmm. in honor. Every single one of them is slightly less. And However, you know what I think? These characters it, play a foible to kind of hold something up as a standard in a way. Yeah. Which is weird because normally you want to say you're better than. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just, I read too much like teen fiction, but it's always Mm -hmm. nice when like your parent is like worse than you, not better than you. Right. Why? Because it means that your hero isn't perfect. If the parent is clearly better. But having a perfect hero is nice. Right. Isn't that kind of the point of this book though? is to kind of point a finger a little bit with all of this scheming and everything and to kind of show early on in this uh, character something mm-hmm. like like a, a contrast which throws it all into sharper relief of a guy who did not have really an agenda, who was self-sacrificing and didn't... Well, he, he he didn't really allow the politics to take his soul. Um, right. To kind of right. at the very beginning show something that we that the other characters degenerate from. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. Um. I think, um, uh, right, you were saying? I, you can, I was going to change the topic, if you still have a point on this topic, go ahead. No, go on, it's okay. Okay, well, I was just going to say, I mean, I think it's important to keep in mind, I mean, Paul, near the beginning, seems to be a lot like his father, like when they first flee into the desert. He still right. seems to have like that idealized nature. It isn't until he slowly starts noticing that one cannot change their fate, which is weird. It's like he, he's fighting against 
his fate at the beginning. And when he accepts his fate is when he seems to change. Mm. Um, and it's really mm-hmm. sad because, like, I mean, it, it's like that idea of, like, Oedipus, um, which is cool that we're bringing this back to, like, the first thing we talked about. Um, but Oedipus has this cool um, struggle with his own fate. And he fights it and ends up in event like completing it. But like Paul uh-huh. comes to a point because he can see the future, they notice this. Whether or not I fight it, it will be accomplished. That this um what's the word? Um it is like a religious um military jihad, that's the word. Which yeah. reminds you of um Muslim jihad, because that's like the only religion that really is famous for doing jihad. Um, right. Um, anyway, um, he says that there's like going to be this jihad, and he's afraid of it, and he's trying to stop it, but then he realizes that even if he dies, he kills himself or something, or he mm-hmm. dies in a fight, the jihad is going to be carried on Right. By his mom, by his sister. They're going to carry it on and say he was a martyr. Mm. Right. So there was no way for him to end this. And so Right. But what I liked just, What yeah. I liked to Right. What I liked about this book though is that in, in contrast to Oedipus, he like he actually has some control over it. You know, he's got multiple paths to choose from as opposed to Oedipus, no matter what bad decision he makes, he's going to kill his father and sleep with his mother. Well, you say he has control, but he doesn't. I mean, he always brings that jihad. Yeah, but the, he, mean, that was more of like a thing of, it's like, oh, it's a very fine line to walk. You know, it, it's going to be really hard not to make this happen, but we'll we'll tread the fine line. We'll make this work. No, he doesn't. He brings jihad, doesn't he? No, he I mean, doesn't. That what... That's, that's not okay. the point of the book. I haven't got there yet, so I can't tell you. Gotcha. Okay, so oh. at the end, um, so, so the jihad is a more of a planet-sweeping, like universe-wide war, like like huge, big. Right. Crazy. Well, but at the end, doesn't he say he's going to release his people off the planet? What do you mean, release them? I, I thought he said he was going to let people his Fremen off, leave the planet. And, like, I don't remember seeing that in the book. I thought that his way of taking over the planet without, you know, broadcasting what's happened to the other houses and making a deal with the Emperor prevented all that. Well, kind of, except I thought he was replacing the military that was currently working as the Empire's military. Replacing the Sardaukar with the Freemen? Right, and which in effect means that when other people rise up to say, hey, wait a minute, yeah, you're emperor, but you're a bit, like, I don't want to serve you. Well, then he's going to just be able to decimate them with his religious army. Yeah, but that's not jihad. Jihad is an offensive thing, not a defensive thing. Yeah, kind of. You didn't really see a difference? I saw saw a big difference. I saw him going like, okay, we did it. 
you know, it almost didn't happen, but the, the, you know, like at the end, at the end of the day, you know, he made some right decisions and luck went his way, and he avoided universe-wide catastrophe. Ah, maybe I thought he failed. Oh. Well, maybe Isabel, you haven't read the ending, so you don't. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, there are more books in this series, correct? So we could theoretically see if he did fail or not. Yeah, That's we should true. read the other books in the series. However, I will tell you, second book, well, I mean, like this book, the first time you start it and you're completely lost. Yes. <laughs> you start the second book, you're still completely lost. It's not like all of a sudden what? you know how the entire universe works. Oh, man. Well, because you're introduced to like five political parties that are all massively powerful. Like on That's level Dine Jepsaret, the Space Guild, and like three other parties are introduced <laughs> with like super powerful groups who we've never heard of. And it's like, <laughs> wait, what are you guys? And right. how powerful are you? And now that then the next book they introduce you to five more? <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't actually finish reading the second book because oh. <laughs> I got bored after chapter like two and I was like, but yeah, Dune was good, but I mean, there's a lot of other good things to read. That is a definite thing to keep in mind when you're reading this book about the... Uh, it, they just throw you right into it. They don't explain any anything, and everything just sort of gets explained by osmosis. By the time you get to the end, you think you kind of have a handle on who everything, everybody is and what they're all doing. And it's a very immersive right. experience, but at the beginning, it's just hard to get past those first couple chapters when, like, what's a Mentat? What's a Harkonnen? What's an Atreides? Right. Also, I mean, it doesn't help at all that you get those paragraphs at the beginning of each chapter by that princess. Yes. Oh, those are the weird... Okay, those are like prologues to books. You know how, like, prologues to books never make any sense until you've read the book? Well, but they're not just prologues to books. Like, eat, like prologues to, like, the chapter. You have to right. read, like, the entire book to understand any Understand of the prologue to the first chapter. Exactly. Yes. Right. Yeah, I ended up kind of reading them and ignoring them a little bit because... You have um, to. You can't make sense of them until you've read the entire book. The second time through, they're awesome. The first time through, they're awful. Mm-hmm. Yep, very true. Well, I feel like that's but, like the same way with prologues. That's that's what I meant. Mm, indeed. Mm-hmm. Cool. Also, well, is there is there anything... Know. Okay. Is there anything else we really want to touch on with this podcast? We're we're running uh, close to our normal episode time. I do not think so. I mean, we could touch on the fact that Paul, when at certain point, says that tries to draw a distinction between his different names. Yeah, that's fair thing to do. Yeah, let's quick do that, kind of and, then, and then we'll call it good. Yeah, so Paul has three names. He's called, uh, well, Paul, uh, he's called Muad'Dib, which in, um, or uh, in, uh, which in Freeman means mouse. Um, it's Doesn't like a he have, like, four names? Yeah, so, yeah, so he's got Paul, Muad'Dib, he's got, uh, Yusul, which is his Freeman name, and no, he's No, no, it's his Freeman the, tribe name. Right, exactly. His tribal name, which is means that only people in his specific small group of the Freemen can call him it. 
So right. it's what him and his girlfriend talk to each other by. It's what him and his tribe's leader talk to each other using. But right. like when he's talking to normal Freeman, he still mm-hmm. uses Madib. Right. Yes. And then um, he has the name Quizak Hadaran. Yeah, which is the the, the Benny Gesserit uh, like male right. title. That's what that means. Right. It's called the shortening of the. It means the shortening of the way. But it's the title that he uses, like when he's referring, when he wants to communicate with, like the Benny Gesserit or like the Space Guild are the two groups. Anyone who's messing that. around in like the magical realm, he mm-hmm. will use the title of Ben of Pizzatatarach because it means he's like extraordinarily powerful. Right, and then uh, Paul Atreides like, is more his royal name. What? I said, and then Paul Atreides is more his royal name. Right. Paul is the name that he can connect to almost any of those. Right, exactly. Um, well, isn't which is it... Why, yeah. Which is why using Paul to describe him is always wonderful. Yes. <laughs> That's very nice. <laughs> so what was your question about it? Like, what was okay. the... So, well, when he talks to the um, emperor, and I think he does it before this too. Um, he makes a statement along the lines of like, "You're all free to come." I like under the name of, "I will protect you under the fact that I am the Duke Paul Ashright." Right. But like when they show up, he like questions the emperor, making certain like claims of like, "Tell me such and such. Tell me such and such." And, like, the Emperor's just kind of like, but I'm under protection, I don't have to do anything. And Paul's like, well, yeah, I said that under my name is, like, the Duke Paul Atrides, but, I mean, Paul... I'm also this, and he doesn't like like you very much. (laughs) Yeah, like, Paul Mubeev can do whatever he wants, and he can command his Fremen to kill you all. Right. It's like, wait, but, I mean, you're not two different individuals, it's like, you're still one guy. Right. Right. I don't know. I well, thought you know, it was wrong. Yeah, it, it might be a commentary on how we tend to act differently and do different stuff with different groups of of people, perhaps, and of different levels mm-hmm. of authority and whatever. And if you stray a little bit too far from the path of sincerity you can start becoming two-faced and say stuff to one person which you don't really particularly mean that right. you would be ashamed slash unable slash otherwise, you know, you wouldn't say and do with the other people and it can kind of get, you can get twisted in too many different directions and kind of forget mm-hmm. who you are and lose your identity because it's splintered. And yeah, I mean, it's, there is a definite splintering to Paul's identity. I mean, mm-hmm. it's brought up when he talks to that guy who, who's the like, leader of the tribe he first, the um, Freeman tribe he joined. Freeman tribe he joined. I don't remember. Anyway, that guy, like, when he's worried about Paul calling him out to, in a Still gone. fight. Yeah, that guy. Um, and he, Paul's like, you think I would do it? 
and he says, well, and he says like the guy, like his tribal name, no, I know you wouldn't, but under your name is Mudib, I have no idea. That's mm. true. Right. Because of the confliction of the various roles, the leader, mm-hmm. the friend slash family member, mm-hmm. the uh, subject, the duke, and he has different duties that go along with each of these roles, and when they c- clash, which one wins out? It's connected to the whole politics thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's kind of true sometimes, you know, in our own lives, you know, like what we, we all have different roles and sometimes it's like, you know, which, which one rins out, right? Like, do, is this, is this a kind of time where I spend time with my family or should, is it okay if I spend time with my friends? Like, you know, like just the other day I had to decide whether I wanted to go on family vacation or, uh, take a trip to Florida to become the, to maybe to have a chance at becoming the, the national champion in Microsoft PowerPoint. <laughs> wow. So. Yeah. 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 Stuff like Sorry, that. That was, that was a bit off topic, but does, uh, no, no, I understand how, what the, where the connection is. Yeah. Right. On a much um, smaller, seemingly trivial it, scale, since it doesn't involve the rise and fall of nations. What happened? Are we not still recording? I think I think my uh, headphones malfunctioned, so uh, I cannot hear anything oh. anybody else is saying. Okay, well, I mean, I'm saying stuff. So you... I'm I'm also talking. I believe we were pretty um, close to guys, the end you guys want of to the podcast your and wrap up the podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, so. We want to just say to everyone that thank you for listening. I have no idea what status our website is. Probably still under development. And, well, yeah. Thank you all, and have a good day. Goodbye. How do we finish this? I don't don't know. know. Gabe always says this. I don't know. Well, no, I meant as far as how do you click, how do you click disrecord? Oh, well, Gabe has to do that too, doesn't he? Yeah, how do we get hold of him? Ah, brother. I don't know. I mean, we I'll can just Facebook hook message up. him. Oh, yeah, do that. Assuming he's still online. Wait, I think it automatically ends the conference when Gabe leaves. I don't know. It didn't say this call is not being recorded in that yeah, robot. Well.